Hello, welcome to the No Opinion Podcast, Season 2, No Space for Design. I'm Lyle Bruce. And I'm Ryan McLeod. And we run Agency of None, we're a design studio in Dundee. This season of the No Opinion Podcast is supported by the National Lottery through Creative Scotland. In episode four of No Space for Design, we're going to be looking at placemaking and we're going to be looking at the effect of collectives and creative spaces on the surrounding areas within their cities. We're going to be looking at some interesting examples, bringing in people from other places to explain how they've done it and the effects it's had for them. So first off, we're going to catch up with Mark Lawler. Mark's the managing director of Baltic Creative. And for those of you who don't know, um, Baltic Triangle in Liverpool is a kind of area of Liverpool which has regenerated itself from an old industrial area and become this hub for creativity and it's, it's kind of a really interesting model of how they have taken on an area of a city and turned it into something that was really in demand and and it's thrived it's been it's over 10 years old now and it's it's going really strong um so Mark's going to kind of take us through kind of extensively how how they set this up um and it's a really fascinating lesson so We'll, we'll uh, let, let Mark explain it. So if I was giving you a presentation, I'd, I'd, I'd start by saying I wear two hats in Baltic. Um, one of the hats that I wear is, is, is the managing director at Baltic Creative CIC. It was set up in 2009. It's an asset holding property management company and property development company. Um, these assets are held almost in trust via the community interest model, which effectively means as a commercial property company, which we are commercial, we have to drive profits and surplus because there's no revenue coming into this organization on an ongoing business. We have to be a commercial viable property company. But our CIC status ensures that the value we create and the profits we generate can only be recycled in three ways. We reinvest the profit we generate back into the buildings to make them better for the tenants. We reinvest the, the profits back into the tenants by a whole range of different support to make sure that they have every opportunity to, you know, as a new business, gain traction, grow, attract new clients and create more jobs. Um, and then finally, um, we can only reinvest back into the sector generally. So that allows us to, to think about the bigger picture in Liverpool and the city region and think about our ability to invest um you know in sector events in socials in education and training partnerships all the things that are outside of our red line if you like as a commercial property company but we understand the value that they bring to the creative and digital sector so uh, that effectively is the model so a cic is essentially a normal trading limited company we have to pay VAT. We're not, we don't have charitable status. We just operate like a normal commercial property company. But the assets that we manage, the assets we own, they are for the benefit of the creative and digital community as defined in our mem and arts in perpetuity, forever. These assets will only ever be able to be used by and serve the growth of the creative and digital sector. We need to, when you get that, we need to understand that there's a, um, there's a, there's a letting strategy. So we exist to support creative and digital industries. So we have to define what creative and digital industries mean. That essentially is uh, the DCMS classification 
and definition of creative and digital industries. Frankly, for me, as a commercial landlord, it's quite a broad definition. It allows us to work with artists and makers and publishers and printers, you know, uh, the whole, you know, digital and tech and software and gaming. But equally allows us to work with, you know, auction houses and arts um, culture organisations. So pretty broad definition. Um, and in addition to that, you know, what, what we specifically state now in our, um, in our letting strategy, we're now also supporting social enterprise specifically referenced in our, in our letting strategy. We try where we can to ensure the social enterprise we, we support through, you know, the letting strategy. We try and ensure that it has some relationship with creating digital industries. We don't want to work with just any social enterprise. There's lots out there. We try and ensure that those social enterprises are contributing to um, the growth of creative digital industries in some way. Um, so we don't we don't do lettings with professional services, um, you know, accountants and lawyers and 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 you know finance organisations. However, I'll give you the caveat: we do we do break the rules on occasion when we feel it serves and underpins the sector. So, an example: we were approached by a finance company. That finance company said, we'd like a, a studio. We said, we don't do deals with professional services. Sorry, we can't help you. And they said, well, all we do is invest in games companies. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. We have 30 games companies in our cluster in, in the Baltic Triangle. I think that's a, a fair enough sort of, um, you know, it's fair enough for us, I think, to, 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 to bend our rules to the extent where we allow that deal to happen because it serves and supports and underpins the rest of the tenant base that we're working with and the rest of the community that we're working with. So we don't have those conversations regularly, to be honest, Lyle. There's not many occasions where we'll, where we'll bend the rules to that extent, but where we feel it's appropriate, you know, we'll take that to board and we'll make that change and commit to that, and, and commit to that deal. So, so that's, the, that's, the, that's the one hat that I wear. It's, it's managing a commercial property company, which in perpetuity will support very specifically creative and digital industries as defined by our letting strategy. The other hat that I wear, which is probably, you know, it's, 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 it's equally as important because I think one of the reasons your various hubs might be failing is because there, um, there needs to be a, a, an almost a sort of um, a wider cult, a wider cluster strategy, and that. So, so, so I, we're based here in the Baltic Triangle. Baltic Creative owns about twenty-five warehouses, but we sit in this wider area we call the Baltic Triangle. Baltic mm-hmm. Creative, as a commercial landlord, owns a piece of the Baltic of the wider Baltic Triangle. We, as an organisation, back in twenty twelve. You know, when I was, I was leading a group of people, a conversation that we were having across the wider Baltic, you know, think of it as the wider Dundee area. And we were having conversations with various partners across the area. And we had a vision for the, for the Baltic. And we were saying, OK, well, how can we, uh, as a group of businesses, uh, define what this place is all about? We need to articulate to our external partners, as well as our you know, uh, hopefully our uh, our potential investors coming in, whether they're, you know, games companies or developers or, you know, uh, creative and digital businesses, whatever. We had to articulate to an external audience that beyond this Baltic creative thing where you can come and rent a space and get good support and be networked and all those things, you'll actually be part of a wider community. 
a wider Baltic Triangle area. Mm. And that wider Baltic Triangle area, by the way, has a vision. Here it is. Here's a document. Um, so we, we recognised that very early on, that it wasn't just about us as individual organisations in the area. It was about the wider community, really. And then effectively what I, what I did sort of around 2012, what, 2013, I think we formed the company early 20, 2012, the area company in 2012. And then by 2013, we had a vision manifesto and we had a plan. Um, and when you look at the division manifesto, it's very visual, you know, images of East Berlin and Barcelona and Copenhagen, all of these places have their own creative district and arts districts. Um, so very visual, really. And just us as an area, coming to wrapping ourselves around that vision and saying, OK, we, we, we want a bit of that for the Baltic. We think that's where we're moving. So that was great to have that vision, but it needed then a plan, almost like a business plan. And that's what we produced within, within 12, 18 months. And that business plan was sent, and the vision was essentially the marketing documents that we used to sell the Baltic Triangle, not only to the businesses that might have been interested in moving in, whether they were, as I say, commercial developers or whether they were gaming companies or, you know, artists or makers or whatever. It was also to artic articulate to our partners in terms of funders, in terms of uh, the regional uh, authority, in terms of the local authority. And what they began to understand was that we had our own identity as a place. Uh, and it was that that they began to then sell themselves in their forums internationally. And that, I think, is where we've had some of our biggest, biggest successes, is that, is that place identity for, for, the, for, the, for the Baltic. Now, I guess where we are, um, now after, after 10 years down the line is that model for the area company is also a community interest company, but there's no assets in that. There's no revenue stream in it. It's just a group of businesses that have come together. That, those group of businesses evolved and changed over the years. Well, we've been coming to the table on a regular basis for 10 years, driving this passion, this vision for the area that we all have, but without any resource, without any money, no money exchanges hands in this area company. It's all about the sort of, you know, the passion and the vision that we all have for this place. And us being collectively, you know, effectively collectively acting as a lobbying organisation for the city and investors to advise on planning or environment or, you know, infrastructure investments in train stations and bus, bus, bus stops and all of this type of stuff. A lobbying organisation sort of articulating, you know, what it is we want for the area in the long term and then also, uh, you know, putting ourselves out there to, um, you know, to all of our partners to say this is where we, this is where we want to take it. And then in that area company, there's about ten board members, and they all have a have a have a portfolio of responsibility. Some someone's got sustainability, someone's got green issues, someone's got transport, someone's got planning, someone's got uh, nightlife and early evening economy. You know, there's a range of people who who represent the area in relation to a particular strand that we want to see shaped over the next 10 years in, in the Baltic, really. And that's how we've organised ourselves. In the last 12 months, we're asking ourselves whether or not that's the best model. I think it was the best model back then, 
just to uh, just to bring everyone together. This coalescing around a vision, a mission, and identity. We brought through that area company. We brought everyone, you know, as I say, not tenants of Baltic, outside in the wider Baltic Triangle. We, we get people to coalesce around the vision, and it's been a great model for that, for that discussion, for that debate, for the passion and the vision and all those things. But I think what we're moving to now is we need a more uh, sustainable model. And we're looking at uh, joining up with um, Chinatown, uh, which is just on the edge of the Baltic, and Rope Walks, which again is just on the edge of the Baltic, two areas just on the edge of the Baltic. And we're going we're gonna to launch, hopefully this year, uh, Liverpool's uh, independent bid, bids district. So we're joining up three areas. And we're going to run a bid, basically, um, which, to be honest, it won't drive a massive amount of money. Mm-hmm. It'll probably drive about £100,000 a year into the Baltic. But we know as an area company, we, we can do loads with it with a couple of grand a week. You know, so it'd be, it'd be incredible. If, if we can get a couple of grand a week coming into the area company to do green projects or signage projects or socials and events and festivals, and da, 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 da. there's loads that we can do with that, in addition to the, the traditional services that the local authority will provide. Um, so that's where the company is at now. We're at a point where we're about to move towards that sort of more formal approach to managing the area through a bid. But it, what the bid won't replace the area company. The area company is still there as a lobbying organisation. So we can beat the bid and that new organisation, it can beat that and get the best out of it. Because this area company is representing all of the businesses in the area. The bid will obviously represent three areas, including Chinatown and, and Roadwalk. So it's important that they have their own independence because they'll, you know, the bid will be its own company and it'll have to manage itself with the cash flow and everything else. But our, but the, but the business plan for Baltic that sits in the bid will be defined by the area company and then and then it will be passed to it. That's the sort of governance that we we're putting in place at the moment and the approach that we're trying to take. But what it does is to say it allows us to generate some revenue that the area hasn't had before. And if you come down here today and walk around the area, you'd see, you know, the streets get cleaned once a week. It's too busy. They need to get cleaned three times a week. So there's some things that we're just going to have to say, let's put a bit a bit of money into the highways where we need to have a handyman going around and helping businesses with bits and stuff like that. So, I mean, I find that fascinating and, and it's, um, I mean, originally when we were going to do this podcast, we were supposed to go to Liverpool. Um, it didn't work out for a lot of complicated reasons. Um, so we had to chat to Mark over Zoom. Um, but, you know, it was fascinating to chat to him about this. And I kind of remember he came to visit Fleet many years ago as well as part of a, one of those uh, creative zoos. <laughs> um and you know he's he's a really you know he he has fascinating insight into how you go about setting up a space like that. And I think what there's a couple of key things I think that are really interesting to to to, to zone in on a little bit. And and I think that first one is probably the the, the landlord structure, the sort of property ownership structure of what they've done, and they've set up a a company uh, to manage uh, the space. Yeah, I mean essentially they've they've created a a property company with a in the community interest structure um and what that means is that it's a company that cares um it's a company that is invested in the future of the creatives 
and that is not what you get often with commercial landlords and that is often part of the battle that as mark talks about that that sort of long-term vision that he had with this project that that needs to be shared with the people who own or control the properties and by creating their own company they've, they've managed to do that yeah and and it's, it's basically admitting that current property situation of, of management isn't really fit for creative property management it's it doesn't really work that way and that's kind of the problems that we find ourselves maybe encountering when we're talking about creative space you know um, and to set that up and do it in a way that does benefit that model and these different ways of of, of building space i think is 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 really key to the success of of, of baltic uh, triangle as a as an area um but that vision as well that 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 is like that wider vision in that whole area is also really important and i think they they've they have structured themselves really well around that vision you know they have they've put in a board they've put in a board that has representatives in it who can tackle all these different uh, key things that they need to to uh, to work towards like so the sustainability or the um the infrastructures and things like that around around the space around the Baltic Triangle, and I think they've really thought of that through. They've they've kind of they they thought of it in a marketing terms as well. They've thought about how do we re- revitalize an area, how do we bring people into it, what kind of other businesses can we bring along on that journey with us, and I think you know pulling some of those those businesses together and taking them on that that journey is also kind of important. That you know you wanting to sell an idea, sell a vision. And he says that quite a lot of times, the vision word. And it's, and I think that's something that a lot of people haven't said in a lot of our other chats. They've been very focused on a building as a space and, and business models around that. But actually, what is it you're trying to do wider than that? And to be absolutely brutally honest, I don't think we have that for Dundee. I don't think it exists. I don't think there is that collective vision of what we could be for the future. And actually, the way that we exist is that we're all doing our own little things with our heads down in our own little spaces. And we've talked about multiple projects, spaces that have existed, haven't existed. And what we haven't really touched on are are the spaces that do exist at the moment because we're all sort of siloed in our own little worlds because we have Wasp Studios, we have the Flower Mill, um, Water's Edge, Dundee One, all which provide co-working sort of facilities in one way or another um, they all have their own complexities and their their own obviously tenants but we don't have that joined up thinking as, as a as a city as a community we we are not coming together around the issues of of space yeah and I, and I think like when when you see the Baltic example they have really pulled that together and thought what are all the things we need you know I've been there before. I've been to the Baltic Triangle in the past, and you know my my vision, my my recollection of it then was, um, you know, it was it had you know music space, club space, you know, e- you know cafes, eateries. But yeah, and I think that's those are all the elements that come with a creative community. It needs those things that sit on the periphery that become part of that area as it as it expands and, and grows. Um, and I think what Mark will go on to talk about is the, the backing that you need from your local authority and how absolutely pivotal that can be to the success or failure of something like this, especially when the vision is on such a such a big scale. And I think Dundee often champions itself on its scale. 
Um, and obviously Liverpool is, is, is absolutely massive compared to the population of Dundee. And so, yes, that may work in its favour. But then if we are much smaller, why aren't we better connected and able to make these things happen? So, yeah, let's let's bring Mark in on, on the sort of the importance of um, the backing of a local authority. You don't necessarily need to own the building. Your landlord's just got to be sympathetic to your ambition and, and commit to the vision, mission uh, uh, of it, really. And, and you're more likely to find those types of landlords in local authorities. Um, you know, if you've got a sympathetic local authority who gets the vision and mission, you can take longer-term leases at, you know, affordable, accessible rates. And, and you know, there's, there's approaches that you can take to, to do that. But... Um, yeah, if you're in the charge of the private sector, you're at the behest of value. And, you know, one one of our biggest um, successes here is Baltic, in Baltic is that the model has protected us and, in fact, been the rocket fuel for growth. Um, so is this thing wouldn't have happened without the local authority? So, so Baltic Creative, when we were formed, Baltic Creative CID, the commercial property company, when we were formed, uh, there was a department within the city council called Liverpool Vision. It was like the um, the economic uh, growth uh, department within within the local authority. And what they, a couple of people there, did very smart back in 2007, 2008, as the city was going through the European capital of culture, they reckoned there was, you know, they they recognised that there was a there was a huge amount of goodwill to creative and arts and culture through that period. And they also recognised that, you know, there was a couple of things that needed to happen in, in order to create a legacy on the back of capital or culture. This is my take on it now. It's funny, to be honest, Lyle, you probably speak to other people in the city and they'll have a different take. But my my impression of, of, the, of the process and the changes that have happened is this was seen as a sort of a legacy you know, to support creative and digital and arts organisations. And what was really smart about those conversations at, at that time was the approach that they were going to take the model. And they did look at the three models, private sector to run Baltic, public sector to run Baltic, or something in the middle. And that something in the middle was absolutely the right things to do, you know, in terms of the community interest company. It was a relatively new new uh, company formed back in 2009. Uh, it was probably only three or four years old at that point, the CIC, as if that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a model, what it's done is it's allowed me as the MD of Baltic to run it as a commercial operation so we can stand up in, in forum and talk commercially with commercial investors and commercial developers and commercial partners. But at the same time, you know, we can then work, you know, on social enterprise and we can work in terms of social good and all of those, you know, maybe third, you, know, you call them softer, the softer elements. I often refer to it as the byproduct of what Baltic Creative does. The core of what we do is commercial property. The byproduct of what we, we do is sector growth, social impact, economic impact, you know, uh, regeneration impact. Um, all of those things are the byproduct of running a proper commercial property company. And I think what you guys are grappling with you're at the mercy of a, a, a property sector. And as the property sector contracts and grows, contracts and grows, you're always going to feel the pain of landlords who, mm. you know, say they want to get rid or they, they want to sell or, you know, it's, um, 
So I've always been a huge advocate. I've spoke about this many times over the years about the importance of that model. What you know, and I think what we did here back in two thousand and nine is through the asset here, particularly at, at the campus and our big glazed front and our open environment, was say, you know, here's a shop front to this sector. Um, whatever happens in this Baltic in this place, you know, where in two thousand nine you could rent a, a warehouse for twenty five pence a square foot. Whatever happens to the values here, you know. You'll always have a home at Baltic Creative because our letting strategy dictates that. You're always going to have to, we're going to always have to provide, and it's written in our memoirs, we're always going to have to provide affordable, accessible space. That, that doesn't mean it's subsidised. It means we can only rent space to a particular range of businesses. Now, if I'm sitting on 95 empty spaces, it's because I'm overpricing them mm-hmm. or there's something fundamentally wrong with how I'm managing it. But effectively, we're fully let because we're affordable, we're accessible, and I also manage a commercial viable property company. So that affordable, accessible can be commercial and viable. It is. It's what generates our profits and what's allowed us to grow the footprint over the last few years. You know, again, Mark is making an incredibly valid point there that you this this journey you go on. If you're going to do it as placemaking, if you're going to have this vision, if you're going to if you're going to create. Uh, an interesting area in your city you need to do it with your local authority you need to work with them to be able to to go on that journey together to to share that vision to to outline it to share it and to to fund it support it and develop it because you are looking at a long-term strategy you're looking at how you can change a sector create you know new growth new industry uh, new economic benefits for your city and you know it's got substance it's not just a marketing campaign for example you know it's 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 got it's got some sort of merits to it and and you know you have to be able to have a relationship i mean we talk about all the disparate parts that exist within within cities and within the places to bring them together there's no bigger part of that than 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 a, than a local authority in helping that happen you know that is fundamentally the job of a local authority to make things happen you know and make them happen for the people that live in the places that they're in and i i think dundee especially now hangs its hat on the design and creative aspect of the city as a as a marketing tool so there's clearly a belief that it is a positive aspect of the city it is here for the long term but i think sometimes that is only for the big business and not for the the one two three four person businesses that are on the ground working a way that as we've highlighted are are finding it difficult to get space to to come together what we need is as we've talked about that that sort of collective vision and the the support and i mean the the funding as well i mean i think that's it's unavoidable you need some sort of of capital investment in, in any sort of project like this but in order to create the conditions that these businesses and these creatives can flourish and that we'll see as mark says like continual growth so you're investing in the property and you're investing in the creatives and then you can see them grow and that attracts more people and then you have a better sector and then it just it'll just snowball and then you're able to create a much bigger and more powerful presence which ultimately adds to the economic growth of the city and and maybe this is in 
this is something we can maybe address in the next episode a little bit more but it's kind of it it's about again we're going back to that being taken seriously argument that we sort of talked about in ep- uh, episodes previously to this um and you have to believe that there is economic value in the creative community of your city so actually at this point we want to go back to um david cook who featured in the in the first episodes um he was the consultant who worked on the the westward works project um and we had a conversation with him about creative businesses in the city and, and the scale of creative businesses that, that, that marcus sort of touched on and, and how we grow that creative economy in in dundee and and i suppose it David was looking at how Westward Works could facilitate that and the need that still exists when Westward ultimately is now no longer going to happen. Well, there's that in the demand side, isn't there? And then there's there have been some changes in the supply side. So the Studio Dundee proposition didn't happen. Um, the Wasp Studios are full. Mm. Uh, vision, The Vision Building space that was incredibly impactful in terms of being a locus where you knew you could go and see people mm-hmm. and there were three or four organizations based there that's that's ceased largely i think and things like um oh my goodness i, I forgot the name we, of the, we the had fleets yeah, yeah, fleet, yeah, yeah, that, fleet yeah ended and uh or ended as a as a physical space anyway and um but there's been the growth of the commercial marketplaces has obviously seen opportunities so uh, the, is it the flour mill and and the circle has, um, uh, which was a social social impact building, has moved in effectively moved in to the to the city centre space with uh, Dalab Castle coming on stream. So I think the, there is a, a risk that those things are seen. Well, there's there's solutions, so you don't need anything. So I think there needs to be a really hard look by somebody who's experienced and independent to say, well, here's what the the, the market is providing. Mm. And here's what the demand is or could be or might grow. And I think there'll, there'll continue to be a mismatch because you'll have known from when you search for your own space, trying to find a space of the right size in the right location at a price you can afford as a, uh, a small business, is, uh, you know, is, is not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Dundee's not an expensive city in terms of property, but it's still out with the bounds of a startup design business, let's say, or many of them. There's other things at play, which is like, you know, various studies have talked about um, the creative industries across the UK and the scale of the business size. So, you know, there's a huge chunk of them, 40% I've seen are, are thereabouts, which are either zero employee businesses, i.e. a sole trader or a one a person who's a director of a limited company or something, or they're a micro, you know, less than 10 employees. And, you know, and that's not just because I think people look at that and think, well, that's because they're not scalable businesses. But it's also because people who start businesses like yours don't really want to be running a company where you're a director and there are uh, you're you're having to get commercial work that you're not really interested in doing philosophically or aesthetically in order to feed the mouths of your employees, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that becomes a, a kind of rat wheel. So. You know, there is an optimal business size where it's uh, enough people involved in the business where enough activity that you can still do interesting things but make a good living. And yeah. it's not, you know, no one's trying to be rich. They're just trying to make a decent living and, you know, all that stuff. So I think there's understanding that, and uh, I, um, I, I think in Dundee, there's a, there's a skewed skew to that analysis is the gaming industry 
is capable of turning a one-man band or one-person business into a 50-person business quite quickly mm. if they get hit. And so I think uh, economic development people, when they look at digital or they look at design, they are thinking of, I'm going to invest in 10 businesses and one of them might become a fan jewel or a um, rock star or whatever it is that is going to generate lots and lots of jobs. And I actually don't think, I think actually, whilst you've got to acknowledge that's their aspiration, the aspiration of most creative practitioners is not to become a global business. Mm -hmm. It's to become a really good design business that um, makes makes money enough to pay everyone and grows and does interesting work. That's the aspiration of most. That relationship with growth is probably one of the things that is a big challenge for us when we're talking about the things that we're talking about in this series. You know, we are talking often about like the metric of growth in some ways, and we would see it in a design, small design studio sense as, you know, that being able to sustain a healthy balance of work, clients, uh, being able to pay our bills, being able to grow a little, you know, do the things that we want to do and create ultimately interesting projects. Um, we're not interested in staffing up with, with 100 or 200 staff or even 50 staff. Maybe we'll hire one or two people over our, 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 our lifetime and that we'll be happy with that. Um, but you know that doesn't really fit with the metric of growth that we often see as being the success metric within economic development cases. So you know, you're talking about creating these companies that are you know 50 100 200 people strong and you know when you do that you immediately you know immediately you do kill the the creative aspect of it a lot you, you're kind of focusing very much on on um uh, you know targets and and you know often you bring in shareholders so you're focusing on the shareholders as well and people like that that might be benefiting from your your growth you know david um he he says very much there that about video games companies and i think that's a really interesting model too i mean dundee has has hung its its its, its creative um hat <laughs> for lack of a better term uh, in in video games you know we we have a university that that supports the development of of video game uh, companies through through upskilling and and uh, training of, of of students into into that area um we, we we support and fund and grow game companies now a lot of those game companies haven't really had what would be termed as a hit for a long time you know but they, they they've had small successes along the way and they've 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 had they, they or they may have worked with an existing franchise that has uh, you know a lot of value in it and then they've developed that and created a lot of uh, uh, economic growth through through that but creative growth uh, has been has been has been much less well uh, seen you know not since the days of of you know grand theft auto and dundee was and that sort of era where we creating really innovative products and that you know the genesis of that was a very small studio of two or three people just you know trying new things experimenting looking at things pushing the boundaries and looking at the future and then they created something like that so i i think david makes a really good point of like you know most design studios and most creative places don't want to be that big that big company they just want to keep small and keep being creative but you know along that way you may get little gems that pop out that you can then turn into massive big 
organizations, companies that hire lots of people and then we please a whole lot of other economic goals. Um, but I think we have to have that infrastructure there first so that we can do those. Yeah, and it is about supporting lots of those small scale companies and realizing that growth doesn't always have to be measured in turnover profits in in numbers it can also be measured in the creative output and the quality of that and that's not often the case but i also think it's it can be measured in the the quality of life and the if you create your own business you can choose the hours that you work you can be more flexible you can actually have a much better work life balance um and those things are not necessarily considered when we're looking at more traditional economic models and the markers that they have for success okay so we're, we're going to i think this is probably a good point to to bring in gary kennedy um to have a to explain um a little bit about red brick creative which is um a, a project that's happening in conjunction with 71 brewing which is up in the blackness area of dundee and this is all about, again, creating a destination, creating a place. Um, and you'll remember that we chatted to Jo Helfer in episode one, and she had Tin Roof Collective in that very building. It was the, the Tin Roof Collective weren't able to put that capital investment in order to to get the, the building up to the, the building regulations that they needed to. Um, therefore, they were forced out of that space. But a more commercially viable business was able to, to go in and utilise that. Um, but with this opportunity, Gary's going to talk about how there's the potential to to partner a commercially successful business with the creative aspect and make them work together um, in this sort of in this space in the Blackness area. So I'll let Gary um, explain a bit more about it. Our business is now in its twenty first year, and just over four four and a half years ago. Um, we were doing a lot of um, we were doing a lot of making. Um, myself personally, I work in Duncan at Jordanston College of Art part time, and then I've got uh, Kennedy Twaddle, which myself and Chris Twaddle, uh, both Duncan at Jordanston graduates, set up in around two thousand, and we were maybe uh, using the facilities that DJ had too much. <laughs> as in, you know, laser cutters, 3D printers, to realize some architectural projects, you know, which was great in scale. And we worked with um, one of the graduates in the course I teach on, Emmerich Greno, uh, when he was do he'd finished that course and he was doing his uh, designer in residence. So you don't get funded to do your designer in residence. So we th- we were like, you know, would you like to uh, help us out, make some some models in 3D, he's very good at making, and uh, we'll pay you. And that seemed to work, and once he'd finished his designer in residence, we're like, well, shall we continue to do this? You know, you've got your your own business you want to set up, draft. Uh, Would you like to um, work part-time for us and establish your business at the same time? Yes, brilliant. And uh, a link through Verdant Spirits, which is a a listed uh, old mill in Dundee, we were designing that. Through that, we uh, happened to meet one of the main landlords in Dundee, Bruce Linton, because he uh, releases some of his gin through that. And uh, a conversation was like, 
Bruce, would you have a space? We're looking for a space, a creative space. The buzzword then was make space. You know, we want to make stuff as well, you know, as, as designing buildings. We want to, you know, design installations that might go in tandem with that. We want to make models. We want to make furniture. Um, and what came out of that was um, an old government training centre, Tangate Business Centre, up in Staffa Place in Ardler in Dundee. So we moved in there and he uh, orchestrated the renovation of one of the horticultural units because they used to do metalwork, woodwork, uh, masonry and horticulture. So we got our own dedicated space, which has served us well. And at the start of these spaces, you you know, when it's a blank canvas, you think, this is massive. We'll never fill this. But as you start to acquire machinery and stuff, models, equipment, people, uh, the space slowly, sl- well, slowly, quickly got uh, overcrowded. And uh, over the last couple of years, we've been looking to extend and, and move and ideally into the centre of Dundee where we hope we can flourish as a, as, a, as a creative destination with an open door policy so people can kind of, you know, come in, see what we do. Uh, we work a lot in, in the idea of design engagement and co-design. Uh, work a lot with uh, Lindsay McIntosh as a collaborator, you know, doing co-design projects. So even the idea of that, when we run workshops in our current situation, we don't have enough space to facilitate a large number of people. I want to say a large number, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 people is ideal for for a a design engagement participant um, class size. So we had a need to kind of move more centrally. And we came into cahoots with Duncan Alexander, who uh, is co-founder of um, 71 Brewing. And we'll be going down to um, look at his space and um, come up with some ideas as to how initially he, he might remodel his top room. And that is an interior design job. Uh, kind of spread its wings and flew upstairs into the current vacant um First floor and second floor, so you know, wonderful building. It's an old um, ironworks, which is a satellite building from the Blackness Foundry, which is uh, now demolished. But this is one of the last fireproof buildings. Uh, Nineteen around late nineteen sixties, I think it stopped stop, stopped operating as that, and then it was a furniture storehouse, and um, then um, Tenriff, an artist collective, used it for a while. So the opportunity to work in that space, to be part of something new, was very appealing. You know, obviously they have more floor area. It's uh, centrally located, and the plans that we've put in to move our business into it um, is very exciting because we we know what we'd like a space on the first floor that we dedicated architectural studio and workshop, and to continue to work with Emmerick as his businesses grows with uh, his draft, um, but also on the first floor. We would imagine or we've put in process of, of a plan for a planning application to facilitate a beer museum, a distillery, a cook school, retail space, um, beer school and a tap room. And then on the second floor, an art gallery with uh, an array or provision for an array of craft based design businesses, for example, jewellery, fashion, textiles. Uh, so there's six uh, opportunities there for for creatives to to use that space in the second floor, but moreover to create a new cultural destination 
under the umbrella of Red Brick Creative, which would work in tandem with 71 Brewery to make this building a, 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 a focus, somewhere to go when you come to Dundee. You know, you've got the v you've got the DCA, you've got McManus. We just see the opportunity for a, a, a creative kind of make space design destination. Yeah. Uh, I think part of our the attraction for us was to get, in essence, the idea of a, a shop front um, gallery, whereby because we'd be so close to people buzzing into the tap room, the cook school, you know, the distillery, you know, we very much wanted our kind of, um, the, the, the interior facade of our business to be visible. So if you're in there, I don't know, getting married or you were going to a graduation, you could say, you know, what what, what goes on in that space? Because we think we provide a very visually attractive kind of display of design, be it buildings or furniture or uh, drawings. Um, uh, that was the attraction for us, to get, to get under people's noses more, you know. Um, and again, that... The, the idea of it being more shop front, you know, uh, and, I, and I think there's not enough of that in Dundee. You know, you walk around, you, the, the design isn't that visible. I know the V&A is there and you can see it. Um, and there's certain architectural interventions that are maybe apparent, but the people behind that and the workshops and their facilities aren't. And I think that's really interesting. So that was one of the key motivational um drivers and us wanting to to occupy that space and to be with people you know the people that would be passing trade as it were but also people that would be working there be it in the brewery which is a creative process or upstairs and in, in one of the, the the rentable business craft based spaces yeah so gary talks a lot there about um you know creating a, a destination creating a space in the city to kind of come to and you know it is very much a sort of you know wanting people to kind of come and experience the 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 um what the the brewery and the cook school and everything else has to offer but also then being able to see that creative work happens um it's visible you can see what's going on you might get intrigued by it you might want to find out more about the companies that are there and you know so you are kind of creating a destination you're creating a, an area yeah and it, it, there is the uh the mutual benefit between the two um types of of space i suppose um and it's showing that yeah that that, that is that combination of of commercial and creative that could be effective or better well it, it's this understanding i think that, that one feeds off the other a little bit as well so when we're talking before in some of the other episodes about about using you know re revitalizing sort of city centers and bringing in people there you know it's that understanding that if you put creative people in the middle of these places then they will have a benefit to the other things around it as well and i think that's what they're looking at doing with with that that development so yeah the, and then we went on to ask gary would well, can you explain a little bit about where the project project is at at the moment and how do you get to, to actually realise in that and it sort of opening the doors? So, so currently we're in for planning, so that would be stage one. We've been through an exhaustive pre-planning process and we definitely needed to do that to, to, to have site meetings, to go through policies, you know, to consider uh, access, um, uh, 
use class uh, where the building's situated with regard to, you know, for example, the Blackness Redevelopment Area and the city centre where it actually meets certain council policies and where it falls short in other uh, council policies. So hopefully we'll, we'll get planning, I'd love to say, within the next month. Uh, that, that, that's the major stepping stone. And hopefully we've done enough groundwork to, to make that step. Uh, once that's achieved, then it is a process of celebrating that and trying to get funding on board. Now, the business model from our point of view is, do we rent off the landlord, whoever that is, or do we have an option to buy uh, and literally invest in, in our future? I think both of these are on the table, but um, it can't be taken any further at this stage until we have planning, because if you imagine you're a funder, that's going to be the first question. Do you have permission to do this wonderful vision? And if the answer is no, then I don't think if I was a funder, I'd be um, particularly happy to gamble. So we're trying to get all our all our cards in place to make it more of a an attractive, sustainable offer. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing there that Gary says is about the ownership model of of space again, and they're they're kind of looking at all the different angles. You know, are they going to rent? Are they going to buy? And and it's that it is that you know wrestling the, wrestling the ownership of a building, I guess, from from one one landlord to 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 yourself, um, so that you can you can have control, you can do what you want to do. Um, it's it's knowing that this will work. That there's there you know you're it's not that big a gamble. It's just being able to kind of implement the, the strategy that you've got um, and not be sort of just feeding a, a, a sort of landlord and, and at the mercy of them a little bit. Yeah, and if you can prove the, the business model, the commercial viability of the space, um, you can then prove to investors that it's worth putting the money in. Therefore, you can raise the capital to, to purchase the building, which gains control, which means you can commit to feeding back into and supporting that the community and the businesses that are under that roof, um, which seems to be a real common theme of, of a lot of the people that we've been speaking to, and especially the, the people who have long-term sustainable spaces. So I think that's, that's probably a good place um, to leave episode four. If you'd like to come back to episode five, you'll probably find Ryan and I uh, having a fairly frank discussion about all the things that we've we've discovered in these episodes. Yeah, we're going to bring back together our our own individual insights and what we've what we've learned, and then propose what we feel are the the key things that have come out of this process of of having the conversations of recording this podcast, um, and actually. What is what is possible, and what are the potential next steps, and what we could do to actually start to address the issues that we've been discussing around around space? So that's pretty much it for episode four. Um, just need to say thank you very much to to all the guests in this episode, and to everyone who sort of contributed their thoughts and insights behind the scenes to make this podcast series possible. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and if you have been listening and something has resonated with you or you've got thoughts or ideas or opinions or you're just looking for space at the moment then please do get in touch it's at agency of none on twitter or on instagram and you can use the hashtag no space for design but yeah we'll see you in episode five <laughs>